In episode 64, we introduced you to Dave Connery, an artist and designer who's always exploring creative new ways to make his own art and share what he's learned with other artists and designers. In that episode, we talked about using print on demand on your own website. So if you haven't heard that yet, it's definitely worth a listen. Today, we have Dave back because he has done a huge deep dive into the crazy new world of NFTs over the last year. This is a huge buzzword for artists right now, and there's a lot of confusion about what exactly NFTs are, how they work, how you make money with them, which marketplaces to use, how to market your NFTs, their impact on the environment, and so much more. We can't wait to dive into all of these topics with Dave. So let's get started. Hi, this is Laura Lee Griffin. And this is Nikki May with the Stardust Society, inspiring you to stop getting in your own way and start building an art biz and life that you love. We are artists who believe strongly in the power of community, accountability, following your intuition, taking small, actionable steps, and breaking down the barriers of fear and procrastination that keep you stuck. Follow along with us on our creative business journey as we encourage you on yours. Dave, welcome back to the Stardust Society. Yeah, thanks for having me again. So, okay, let's just dive in with the basic question that everybody wants to know. What the hell is an NFT and why should we care? <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, I wonder how long that that it's going to be before, you know, this becomes like a like everybody will like, oh, I know what NFTs are. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not the premier authority on this, but NFT stands for non-fungible token. And it basically means that it is something that cannot be duplicated, cannot be replicated, cannot be. Dis- uh, well, I mean, technically, I guess it could be destroyed, but it's not. It's not something that you can break apart and share. Uh, It is a single unit that has uh, some sort of intrinsic value in it. Sometimes it's merely just art. Sometimes it has... Wait, wait, wait. Merely? Well, well, because, I mean, what I I mean by that is that sometimes it's you're buying the art if you're buying an NFT, right? Okay. That's Mm -hmm. what you get. But then there's other NFTs out there that have what they call utility and have aspects to them that are deeper than an image. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. It goes beyond the scope of just, you know, the, the picture. Gotcha. And in fact, really the NFT isn't so much the picture as it is the information that is behind it. That's really the NFT. The, the picture that most people make reference to when it comes to NFTs is merely window dressing. It just happens to be mm-hmm. a very decorative way to represent your net worth. Kind of like when you own a home, your home's very pretty, right? But the mm-hmm. paint on the wall doesn't really represent the value of the home, right? There's so much more to it than just how pretty it looks like on the outside. That's kind of what pictures are to NFTs. It's what's going on behind there. That's the ownership that people are looking for. Okay. Yeah. And I, I, I see a lot of questions like, there's a JPEG on the internet and then it's an NFT. What What's the difference? So you're kind of speaking to that difference, right? Exactly. Right. So yeah, I mean, you could easily take that picture and turn it around and, you know, like post it up, put it in your phone or put it up on your Instagram, you know, even if it's not yours, share it on your Facebook or whatever. You could do that. Mm-hmm. But there's 
this contract, this smart contract that goes into any purchase like this, any NFT purchase that says this person over here bought this item or this NFT from this person over here. And that is a non-breakable transaction until somebody, that person who buys it turns around and does the same thing for somebody else. Right. And so there's, there's that to it. And that if it does, if an NFT does have utility, then that utility carries over or in certain circumstances can even be what they call burned for use in some other purpose. So like say somebody buys an NFT to, for instance, Gary Vaynerchuk's V friends is one particular example. And one of the exchanges that you can have is that if you want to, you can burn that NFT and in exchange, you get like a direct access opportunity with him, meaning like Hmm. 15 minutes sit down with Gary Vaynerchuk himself. And so basically you're using that NFT that you bought kind of as a currency or an exchange for an experience. Yeah. And essentially any NFT really is a currency for pretty much anything. It just depends on whatever anybody decides the value is of that particular thing. Let's step back just a little bit and talk about some NFT vocabulary because we've brought up words like utility and, you know, all NFTs are based on cryptocurrency and blockchain and ether and ethereum and gas price and minting and mm-hmm. let's let's kind of go through some of this vocabulary and explain a little bit about what it is. Okay. Um well, there's a lot there. So Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not an ex- I'm not an expert on blockchain. Like I I know enough about the blockchain to understand that whenever you do something on a blockchain, which is essentially a a a very robust diverse network of for lack of a better term nodes, right? And those nodes are they they can be just uh servers in a big giant room, they can be somebody's computer, they can be, you know, all kinds of different things, right? So the blockchain is when when interactions between this these data pieces get created and transferred the information doesn't it's not like when you go and say like, I want to share something with somebody and I put it on my Dropbox and it's in one spot and then somebody can go find it or multiple people can go find it that information is more secure because essentially what it's doing is it's taking the data breaking it apart and spreading it across the entire blockchain or at least a good portion of it mm-hmm. i don't know how all the uh, the networks work, but that's basically the idea that all the information is spread mm-hmm. out. So you can't hack into one of these nodes and just get immediate access to that thing that you're buying. And it keeps track of, of every transaction that's happened. So if something's passed from one person to another person to another person, the yeah. whole thread is always there. It just keeps track of everything, which makes it far more secure, trustworthy. Yeah. Well, the breadcrumbs are always there to everything, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And of course, there's there's flaws in the system and there's opportunity for hacking. And so things like this do happen. Right. And it's just, you know, as things go on, uh, security protocols get just better and better over time. And, you know, the hacking is going to get more difficult and more difficult as things go on. Because part of it is that some of these hackers are the original people who 
built up some of these blockchains in the first place, right? So they know how right. to, you know, how to manipulate or to, you know, uh, find the 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 breaking points in them. And so they know how to break into them or whatever. So that kind of happens, but that's going to, you know, as things get more sophisticated, that will change over time. So there's that. So in essence, you're saying you're creating, let's just say you you create a piece of art and you want to make an NFT out of it. It's now getting spread across this huge network through the blockchain. Um, I think that's what you call minting. Is that right? When you mint something, then it creates that NFT through that process. A mint is essentially you're adding your NFT to the blockchain because otherwise it's just like you can create a listing and it, this differs from platform to platform, meaning um, from you know, marketplace to marketplace, because some operate different than others. Mm -hmm. But so for instance, let's say OpenSea, because it's the largest one out there. I can go and put up a, you know, a listing of my, my NFT, right? Or my picture, my art, I can put up, up, put my art up, put all the information up there and have it, you know, have it shown on my account. But technically it's not an NFT yet, right? It's just, Mm -hmm. it's just a, here's my art. But then it, there's a secondary part to it where you go and you sell it, you hit the sell button, right? And as soon as you hit the sell button, Mm -hmm. it brings up your crypto wallet and it says, do you want to make this contract happen? Now, on some marketplaces, that's where you would get charged a little bit of a gas fee or maybe a lot of a gas fee uh, to mint that. And explain for people who don't know what a gas fee is. I'll get to that in just one second. So just so we can clarify, so we keep everything the same. Sure, sure. So... On OpenSea, the minting actually happens when somebody buys. So you are like, you don't like I can go and sell something on. I can put something for sale on OpenSea and I don't get charged for anything. When the gas fee or when the the minting exists is when somebody comes over to my OpenSea account and then makes the purchase. That's when that minting process actually happens on OpenSea. On some other places, so it does would that be, mean it's technically not an NFT until someone buys it? It's a good question because I, I guess technically it would be. It would be as soon as you hit put it up for sale, it is an NFT, although it's not technically truly minted yet, because it is an NFT in the sense that it has a wallet address or it has an, a blockchain address. As soon as you put it up for sale, okay. So it's on the blockchain. So technically, there is the contract available, but it isn't technically truly minted until it's almost like if if a developer had a neighborhood for sale mm-hmm. or you know had built a bunch of houses but only the first phase were available for sale and the second phase were just sitting over there the first phase would be nfts mm-hmm. the second phase would just be like they're going to be available they're just not available yet Right. Right. And so that's it's kind of what what it is. It's like it's waiting to become something as soon as somebody makes that purchase or whatever. So now gas fees. Yeah. What's a gas fee? So every single transaction requires some sort of, um, you know, like the people who are providing these nodes and creating these these big systems to allow these transactions to happen. They are essentially needing to be paid for their effort and energy and time because they're making this network available. And so it's kind of like a tax on the system. Right. Without getting too deep into the technical aspects, some tokens or coins, they they work differently. And so the gas or tax is higher. Specifically, Ethereum is a very tax rich (laughs) system because... 
mm-hmm. the way that they built it, they built it with a sense of like needing to be more secure. Mm-hmm. They built it very strong, very secure from the from the beginning. But it is a very like when everybody's talking about how much of an impact it's having on the planet, they're talking right. about Bitcoin and they're talking about Ethereum. Right. Because these are very taxing systems that cost a lot of money to run. Now, there are other tokens out there and other NFT marketplaces that operate on different tokens, like, say, Polygon, Solana, Tezos is another one. All of these operate much more efficiently. They're just not very popular right now. They're getting more popular. They're just not anywhere close to as popular as Ethereum at this point. Well, let's talk a little bit about that environmental impact, because I think from an artist's perspective, that's probably the top thing I've heard that keeps people from getting into NFTs. They're like, no, I don't want to hurt the environment. Um, If this takes a huge amount of expenditure of energy to do all the blockchain copying and and like you were mentioning, taking the one thing and breaking it apart into a million pieces. Mm -hmm. um, If it takes all of that energy and that power, am I actually destroying my planet by by, you know, dipping my toe into the water into NFTs? Um, I mean, the short answer, unfortunately, the short answer is yes, a little bit, you know, and it's it's all a matter of degrees. But again, it depends on what network you're on. If you're on OpenSea or if you're on you're operating on the Ethereum network, different ones are going to be, you know, they're going to be a lot more robust than others. However, if you look at Ethereum as a financial institution that it really is, right? Comparatively to other financial institutions, is it doing more damage than all of the different like like Wells Fargo has how many different banks and ATMs and people that work for them and right. you know all the and different financial all the companies that that they own are invested in, how much damage is all of that doing, right? So Well, and everything that we do has some environmental impact. I mean, we're all driving cars, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, for now, right? Until we, uh, until we only live on the internet and only exist in pods with our, with our things over our faces. And Don't say that. I'm about to live on a school bus. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, there are different things we can do better. There are things we can definitely do better. But here's the thing about Ethereum. They understand their impact on the internet and they're working pretty hard to reestablish. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to maintain the security that they've built up with Ethereum. Right? But they also understand they want to change how they do things and work and change the protocol from what they call a proof of work to a proof of stake, which the proof of work is what's costing so much. It uses so much energy. The proof of stake uses far less energy, but is not quite as secure as what Ethereum is happy with. So they're trying to get there, but they're trying to do their due diligence to make sure that it's the right way for them. The thing is, though, is that Ethereum has been working on that for a very long time. <laughs> and so right. they, they say they, that they're, it's coming this year. It's coming this year. It's always been coming this year. So who knows when that's actually going to happen? Um, but if it does and you're already working on Ethereum, well, then the transition is going to be smooth. If you jump over to a different network, say Solana or Tezos or something like that, you could sure you could always come back over to Ethereum at some point. But maybe establishing yourself on a marketplace that's working with Ethereum, like you're going to be better off when the switch happens, maybe. 
So let's step back and talk a little bit about cryptocurrency. You've mentioned Ethereum a few times. Mm -hmm. Some of our listeners don't really know what cryptocurrency is. They may have heard of Bitcoin. Um, Can you help give a description of what cryptocurrency is? Like my understanding is like there's only a certain amount of cryptocurrency. And so it's not like the, I don't know, like the U.S. Treasury where they just go print a whole bunch more $100 bills if they want to. Like there's a fixed total. Is that a true statement? Not always. That is true for some, but not all. Okay. So again, this is not necessarily like I'm not a a total crypto expert, but what little I know about this is that there's essentially two types. There's one where it's that they call inflationary, and then there's one that's deflationary. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that there's one, like the deflationary would have like a set amount and it will always be that set amount, or it may even be degraded over time. Like they actually literally burn some of the coin in order to keep increasing the price of that particular coin. It'd be no Mm -hmm. different than say Apple has decided to buy back some of their stock Mm -hmm. because they can, you know, they can increase the price or the value of their stock by buying some of it back. Right. An inflationary one is one that constantly grows, right? Like Bitcoin is an inflationary coin. There is no limit to what mm-hmm. Bitcoin can actually produce. However, they have said that, and I don't know when this is supposed to happen or what their metric is for making the decision, but they've said that at a certain point, they are going to move from inflationary to deflationary, and then they will start to burn coins. So let's step back. If somebody's wanting to get into NFTs, they, they're hearing about all of this. We've got this blockchain. We have you know potential environmental impacts, but there's going to be improvements made over time to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they want to get started. They have to purchase some cryptocurrency, right, to get started in that world. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. But I know that there are some networks where you can go and you can buy directly from your credit card or, or debit card or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, you're essentially what they're doing is they're taking your money, they're exchanging it for whatever coin and and then using that to make the purchase. Right. Right. So like a nifty gateway mm-hmm. is one which is it's a curated marketplace. They only show artists that they want to show, but you can go there today with your credit card and make a purchase of an NFT just like that. Mm-hmm. And um, you still have to have a cryptocurrency wallet which is, you know, an essential thing that we can talk about if you want. Yeah. And because that's still going to happen. But, you know, like if you wanted to, like I have an NFT, not one of my NFTs. I purchased an NFT on Nifty Gateway Mm -hmm. last year sometime. And it's just sitting there at this point. I could at some point move that NFT, put it into my wallet and just kind of hold it there. And then if I wanted to put it on a different network, if I wanted to sell it somewhere else, I could. I absolutely could do that. Oh, interesting. I didn't know you could transition. So if it's not in your wallet now where it just is living on the marketplace you purchased it on? Well, it's living on their servers, basically. So okay, I made that purchase from Nifty Gateway kind of before I really knew a lot about what's going on in the um, NFT market space in general. And I made that purchase because of somebody that I was listening to and following about the whole topic. And so it was more like out of support for them. As I made that purchase, but Nifty Gateway is a little weird, like where you would think everything should be hosted on a blockchain somewhere. Nifty Gateway's majority of what they're doing is actually hosted on like Amazon's S3 servers somewhere. But oh, that's interesting. 
It's like everything that you see up front is all hosted on just a website. But everything that's in essential, like the important stuff, right? like the back end, the blockchain aspects, that's all part of a blockchain. It's just that they just host the website and the info up on Amazon's S3, which is no different than what like Etsy's doing, right? Etsy's doing something similar. Right. right? You're putting stuff up there. It's all yeah. available. You know, it's just the blockchain stuff happens kind of in the background. Got it. So we know that the NFTs kind of come from a kind of computer tech savvy background. So I know a lot of the first NFTs I saw were sort of like gaming trading cards and pixel based art, not really traditional style. Mm -hmm. Um, Right, Nikki? Yeah, but like these days you're starting to see more artistic things like, you know, a lot of them are just the little pixel based icons but we're starting to see more things like you're doing some really creative, more artistic things. And then there are um, people like Beeple, the one who sold, you know, his collection at Christie's for $69 million. Yeah. <laughs> how do we do that, Dave? Tell us how we do that. Oh, man. If I knew the answer to that. Yeah, I don't know how that happens. But then <laughs> then there's also the more like photographic ones. Like we talked about um, Mick Gow and his photographs. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it really does it really runs a gamut, and I still think we're just barely at the very tippy top of the iceberg still because what NFTs are going to end up being. Um, well, let me give an example. So recently, I went to a, a local concert here, a punk rock show here at a local bar. Mm-hmm. I made that purchase through a website called Dice. Right. It's like a ticketing agency, basically, you know, and in that, like I went there and there was a picture of the the show poster. Right. And it had all my information. And then when I made the purchase, it had like a, a QR code. Right. And I walk in and I have my QR code. Right. Mm-hmm. At some point, you're going to have concerts that you go to or events you go to, movies you go to, conferences, and every single one of them is going to have a ticket that is an NFT and the utility behind that NFT is your access to whatever it is that you're attending. But the best part about, well, the best, I don't know, maybe the worst, I don't know. It depends on your perspective. The, <laughs> the, the good part about this, at least from my perspective, is that if I wanted to at some point when I'm attending one of these shows where I did get an NFT, maybe it becomes valuable and I can turn around and trade that to somebody else later down the road. Now they don't get the mm-hmm. utility of going to see the show, but you go see the Rolling Stones last show ever. You get an NFT for your efforts to go do that. Mm-hmm. You're in control of something incredibly valuable, right? Because they're not performing any shows anymore. If Mick Jagger in his untimely demise go, passes away. You think that's going to happen? I don't think he's going to die. No, he'll, he will. He will. Keith Richards will definitely be living forever. I, I feel like Keith Richards but, yeah. will be living forever. Like that guy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's, a, he's the cockroach of the uh, rock world. Um, <laughs> and there's the quotable from this episode. We love you, Keith. We love you. <laughs> the, that's going to be the... The thing that, you know, it, it, it will become valuable like that. And it maybe you know, some people see that as a little bit dystopian, that it's like, oh, why does everything have to have some sort of tradable value? Well, not everything will, 
right? But no, but I mean, it's it's kind of like collecting some merch from a show that you know they're not making anymore, or mm-hmm. you know, having an album that they're not making anymore. Yeah. Just a dig- yeah. digital version of a collectible. Exactly. Yeah, and you can use it for a while and then give it to somebody else if you want to. You know, I mean, Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg gave out his recent album uh, in NFT form. Cool. Right? And if you wanted to get it, you you had to buy into it, right? And so at a certain point, he'll make more money because of residual income from that. And whoever had it in the beginning with can turn around and sell it to somebody else for more, you know, or less, depending on the, how the value goes. You know? When you sell, when you resell an NFT, doesn't the original creator get a royalty? If they've set it up that way. Yeah, absolutely. You can set it up that way. So rather than if I just bought a physical record album or CD and I resell it, I might get a buck or two, but Mm -hmm. the artist gets nothing. So this way, if I set it up so that when somebody resells my NFT, I get a royalty, then you can keep getting money from it. Right. And that's kind of one of the reasons why NFTs really became a big thing, especially in the art community, is because if I'm an artist and I have my work in a gallery... And I, even if I sell out, I sell everything, I sell out, I make good money, and then I have another show in a year from then, and I have to go and make a whole bunch of new paintings to continually regenerate information. But let's say that the people that, you know, like I become insanely popular for whatever reason, and the people <laughs> that bought my pieces decided, you know, to sell them at Christie's for whatever, you know, twice what they paid for them or whatever to make a profit. I don't see any of that. I don't want to see any of that money. Christie's gets some. I have a friend who just purchased a Banksy NFT. So Banksy released an NFT and released it such that it was one thousandth or one ten thousandth of a painting. And so you basically are owning one partition of that painting, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, I think that's interesting. It's like buying shares. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a strange thing, but I think you have to have a big audience for something like that. So uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you're not gonna nobody's gonna want to buy one ten thousandth of a Laura Lee Griffin original at this moment in time. <laughs> yeah, well, it, I think that, you know, like only guys like Beeple and Banksy could probably get away with stuff like that. I mean, even even these you know board ape yacht clubs probably wouldn't even you know do that. But some of these NFTs are reaching you know really insane levels of uh, revenue generation. I mean, the, you know, the crypto punks, which are like notably some of them, you know, the ones that really kind of caught fire with a lot of people, super simple, basic art, nothing fancy about them at all. It's, they're almost ironic in how Mm -hmm. they operate and, and compared to their value. But now there's other services out there on the blockchain where you can fractionalize that. So just like stocks, Mm -hmm. you buy into portions or shares of that NFT. So if you mm-hmm. think the most yeah. rare. I think that's kind of what this was. Yeah. So it's like that. I mean, it's like you buy the most rare or you buy shares of the most rare stuff because you think it'll go up in value at some point. And sometimes they, it goes horribly wrong and you lose all your money. <laughs> well, yes, that happens too. <laughs> all right. Um, I would love for you to help us walk through from the very, very beginning for our audience, what you need to do if you want to start selling NFTs of your art? So, wow, that's a big question. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> well, because I just keep thinking about like, okay, where do you want to go? But let's just let's just use let's just choose an easy one. Yeah. Okay. So OpenSea is is a non curated uh, you know marketplace. Anybody can go there and start putting their NFTs up right away. It's also one mm-hmm. of the easiest to use right out of the gate. So you obviously you start with your art, and then you go to OpenSea and you just create an account. But before you can really get involved in what's going on there, you're going to need to have a crypto wallet. So a crypto wallet is basically it's just the place that you can securely store your cryptocurrencies. So your Ethereum. It's almost like a bank account. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. So you can have your your Binance coin, your Tezos coin, your Solana, your put you know, your whatever, all these different coins, all these hundreds of different coins out there, you know, you can have it in this wallet, but you have to have that wallet because it's kind of like your, it literally has an address, like a digital address. It's like, it's the thing that the networks use to identify you to the NFTs. Mm -hmm. Because again, it's not like you're moving a physical thing. Everything is digital. Everything is attached via data. And so this is your data point that says, Everything I own is here, right? And so when you create that, where do you set that up? Is that something you set up on OpenSea or you have to set that up separately? You set it up separately. And like, so for instance, the most popular one out there is one called MetaMask. Okay. And it can be used as uh, like a plugin through a Chrome browser. Um, I think they even have it maybe for Firefox, but Chrome works a little bit better. You can also get an app on your phone that you can use it there. And so you set up your account, you get your, you establish yourself with that account first. And then the very first time you get onto, you know, you go to post something on OpenSea, you're going to need to have some Ethereum in that wallet because it's almost like, even though you won't get charged for every single NFT that you post up after the fact, they want this initialization fee for your first time posting an NFT because it's like uh, like a little bit of a good faith effort that you want to be part of this so you go and you invest in this a little bit and you'll you only pay like a small gas fee for doing that kind of like the way when you set up a new account like with a credit card company or like PayPal where they you know make you pay a dollar just to kind of confirm that you are who you say you are. Yeah. Yeah. Is it like that? It's it's sort of like that, except you're actually, I, can, I think in those circumstances, they'll take that money and then they'll put it back. But on the, with OpenSea, this Ethereum exchange, you are actually making that. It's like you are, you are giving money to them and they're keeping it because it just goes okay. to the network to, to basically say, hey, look, uh, you know, use this because we spent some time on the network. Here's some money, that kind of thing. So in order to get Ethereum to your wallet, you're going to need to buy some Ethereum, which you would buy through an exchange. So like you've probably heard crypto.com or you've heard of Coinbase um, or there's a couple of different Mm -hmm. exchanges that you can use. Binance is another one, which uh, I don't I I don't think you can use it in the U.S. unless you use that. I could be wrong about this, but Binance is one that you can use, but it may not be available in the U.S., and there's some others, but Coinbase and Crypto.com are pretty much the the most common, most well-known. So you buy your Ethereum on those platforms. And you need Ethereum because OpenSea happens to be based on Ethereum? Yes. 
okay, I think even in your initial in your initialization, it has to be Ethereum. You can sell through Polygon on OpenSea, and you will soon be able to sell through Solana on OpenSea. But I think the initialization is always done through Ethereum. Don't don't quote me on that, but I believe that to be the case. So you will need Ethereum to get <laughs> to to make that first transaction. So you buy your Ethereum on Coinbase, as an example. You have it available, and you put it up, and you transfer it to your MetaMask wallet. And there's a whole process behind that, which you know, really nitty gritty stuff, right? So you transfer it up to MetaMask, and then it's mm-hmm. just sitting there in your MetaMask wallet, hopefully perfectly secure. You don't ever allow anybody access to it. You have very secure information that you've established with that MetaMask setup. You don't ever want to share that with anybody. You know, absolutely do all your due diligence mm-hmm. and research about it before you. Except us. Yeah. <laughs> Give your seed phrases to me. I'll take care of you, buddy. I promise. Um, <laughs> so, so, so you have your stuff on your wallet and then you go and you, you know, you post your first NFT up on OpenSea and it says, okay, do you want to make this contract exchange? And you say, yes. And it says, okay, this is going to cost you this much gas to do. And it'll tell you exactly like in there how much gas it's going to cost you. And it might be just a few bucks or it might be $100. It just depends on where the gas Mm -hmm. is at any given time because the gas fluctuates depending on the kind of strain that's happening on the network. Ah. If you come in at a very high strain time, like say right now, if you went on the Ethereum network right now, it's probably the gas is probably pretty high. If you go three in the morning and do that, it might be a little bit less. Right. So um, nothing good ever happens at three in the morning except buying NFTs. (laughs) (laughs) So would you recommend just kind of taking a look when you're ready to set it up? And if it seems really high going back at another time, is that what you would do? Yeah, I mean, I I would keep tabs on it, you know, but you also need to understand what you may think is high is actually low. You know what I mean? Because you don't you may not necessarily have the perspective <laughs> about what high is, right? What do you mean it's going right. to cost me $13? That's ridiculous. And I'd be like, I'm all in, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just it's just one of those things what you can always do. This is this is a hot tip that I give a lot of people. There's a website called coinmarketcap.com. Okay. And at the top of Coin Market Cap, which it's basically like imagine like Yahoo Finance just for cryptocurrency. Cool. But at the very top, and let me pull it up just to make sure that I know exactly what uh, I'm talking from, you know, an educated perspective here. Um, at the very top, it has like a little bit of a some data that's being, you know, constantly moved and changed. Um, and one of the things is what gas is at right now. It's like your crypto ticker tape. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah. It's it's pretty and it's actually relatively low right now. At this exact moment, it's only like it would probably cost you about $30 to do that initialization right now, roughly at this exact moment. Mm-hmm. But then you might turn around and go back and say, what he said it was 30 and it's like 400, you know? <laughs> but, okay. Dang it, Dave. <laughs> I know. One time I was, I went to go buy an NFT from somebody who, in fact, it was mix and it was one of Mick Gow's NFTs for his national parks project. I went to go purchase one and the, Ethereum was fifteen hundred dollars. It was <gasps> it was six times the amount of the actual NFT that I was going to buy. It, wow. <laughs> I was like, Mick, I love wow. you, but I can't do it. <laughs> I just can't. I just can't. Right. So I missed my window on that. But um, 
yeah so it's it, it's a little bit of a you know you are roll the dice a little bit there but if you go to one of these other marketplaces like if you say i don't want to be held hostage by gas and all that and i don't want to be part of the problem with the the environment i'm going to go over to solana or soul art or one of these other marketplaces i'm going to go to tezos and 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 do it there the gas fees you still pay gas fee but it's pennies right to do it you can go to um object.com but it's objkt.com and that's a tezos network because who needs vowels right who needs vowels it's so <laughs> we're moving fast we don't have time for vowels well there's the first one but, but anything <laughs> after that forget it right <laughs> Like somebody wasn't efficient enough with that first O in the beginning. So you go there and um, you can buy NFTs there for really inexpensive. I don't know what Tezos is right now, but it, I bought some a while back and they were like one Tez was four bucks roughly. That's cheap. So like you can buy an NFT for four dollars. It's kind of like, well, a lot of people post there, you know, with the idea that they're just going to they just want a low budget I just want to trade NFTs. I want to buy some from other people. I want to sell some to people. Mm-hmm. I want the. I want it to be just like let's just quick exchange, artist to artist kind of thing, and you know it's a good place to you know just kind of get your feet wet with that. Plus over there, as opposed to like when you go to some of these networks like OpenSea, when you see nothing but these what they call profile pick uh, like types of NFTs, which is like the apes or the punks or the the bombs or whatever you know all it's just figurative pieces that all have like 10,000 generations of it right on tezos it feel it's more one of one right like a like like this is a piece of art that i'm putting up as nft and that's it or they might have smaller much smaller collections of like 10 or 20 or 100 of a particular one yeah so it's it just feels like it's more authentic to the art in, and not so yeah. much about just the exchange on the coin or the, the the objects or whatever. Right. How many different variations can we make so we can sell more? Yeah. So let's get back to um, let's get back to minting our NFT. So we've got our wallet. We've got some Ethereum. We opened an account on OpenSea. And next, what do we do? So you have your account. You go and you there's a create button. You hit create. and it's no different than posting up a listing on any other marketplace that you think of, right? You put it up on okay. eBay. If you've done eBay, if you've done Etsy, you've, you have a Shopify website, a Squarespace. It's no different than that. Right. You have a picture, you have a description, you put in some tags, some information. There's a few, um, you know, pieces of information that are, you know, ex- exclusive to like NFTs and stuff like that. Like you can add specific information within a a text box there that says, Hey, uh, uh, you bought this NFT, uh, email me and I'll give you a virtual high five or something like that. Or you can put a link to a video that you made specifically for them or, or a Calendly link to have a call with somebody or there you go. Yeah. Right. Or here's a, Mm -hmm. here's a coupon code to my website. Go there and get a free print, you know, or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. So you do that, you have that, you put that all up as your, you know, your piece. Oh, you also have to have a collection. You have to have at least one collection. So you establish a collection and in that collection, that's where you establish your royalty and some other data, right? So let's say you have a 10% Mm -hmm. royalty. You have your collection and everything that's in that collection that gets sold has that 10% royalty. Hmm. So then you put that listing up and you push it into that collection, right? And then it's just there. 
So you can just have one item in a collection. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine recommended that you start with one collection and then you just, while in, while you're starting to establish yourself, just push everything into that one collection. And maybe after a while and you started to sell a few, then you can go and create like, I'm going to create a derivative collection that's all uh, turtles in space. You know, just like off the top of my head, right? And so you do nothing but a bunch of pictures of turtles in space and you have your turtles in space collection. But for the most part, just start by one collection, maybe label it yourself or label it as something relating to you that people will understand. And that way it's kind of like you're pulling in the SEO juice from that. So if people do go mm-hmm. and search up your name on, you know, OpenSea or wherever, then, you know, there's a higher chance that somebody's going to find you if they would do that. So... You have the collection, you have the, the one listing in there, but it's not really a listing. It's really just a placeholder at this point. You go back into that placeholder mm-hmm. after it's already established, and then there's a button that'll say sell. And you sell it, and another little dialogue will come up, and you put a, a price based on Ethereum. So maybe it's like, depending on you know wherever the price of Ethereum is at any given time, it's kind of a, it's one of these things like, well, I put it at this price. I think it's going to sell for that much, but Ethereum goes up, Ethereum goes down. You know, so right. you establish that price and be reasonable. It's gambling because, on both sides. Right. And and isn't it like a fraction? Because one Ethereum is worth a lot of U.S. dollars, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the price is. Yeah. Let's see. What's, I'm looking at it right here. Ethereum right now is twenty seven hundred right now. Twenty seven hundred dollars right now. So it's like, wow, like like I have mine available right now for point oh five ETH, which is uh, I don't know the math, but like, you know, somewhere like one hundred fifty bucks for mine right now for my NFTs. And uh, you could do it less. You could do it more if you want. Right? But you go and you sell it and then you don't, uh, you know, the, as soon as you hit the button, you know, that's, you know, that's what it's available for sale. Right? That's it literally goes up, goes for sale and people can come in and buy it if they want. And then and then they go and they pay their gas fee for that piece. And you have your mint, you have your purchase, you have your collector and the, you know, there's a percentage of sale that OpenSea takes, of course, which is like two and a half percent of whatever the sale is. And then mm-hmm. your Ethereum, your leftover Ethereum goes directly to your wallet, just like that. And so now you have you have more Ethereum and you're there so you can make more purchases or make, you know, or trade it back to your, your Coinbase and, you know, cash out if you want. Okay, cool. So you are now officially an artist selling NFTs on OpenSea. Yes. Now, does it work sort of like Etsy does if somebody wants to just browse the marketplace, they can type in some keywords. Like, for example, I have a collection up on OpenSea mm-hmm. of my birth month flowers that I drew. So it's a collection of 12 different images. So if somebody goes in and searches for, you know, purple poppies or, you know, something that I've put in the keywords and mm-hmm. and uh, and then they might hopefully see mine. Um, do people do it that way or do they mostly, do they just browse and search looking for people or do they mostly go for, you know, people that they already know? Well, so I, I can't personally adequately speak to that, right? It's tough to say. Who knows, right? <laughs> but here's what I can, if you go in and you go to the explore page, um, uh-huh. there's like, you can look at explore collections and it'll be like the top collections. And if you just look at the top collections that are happening, mm-hmm. what you see there is basically, well, it's a lot of these profile pick ones. And it's just, I think at this point, 
because OpenSea is just massive as far as like how many, you know, people are selling there, how many people are putting stuff up there. There's like literally hundreds of thousands of new NFTs going up all the time. It can be incredibly right. difficult to be found that way because of just how things get ranked. And yeah. Um, and I also think that people go there for different reasons than say they would go to Etsy to buy a piece of art. People are going to Etsy to buy a piece of art to put up on their wall. Um, right. People going to OpenSea for this opportunity to get involved with somebody that they like. So they probably already have an established relationship with this person or at least have been a fan of their work before. Or they found out through some Discord server, some Twitter account that, you know, like, oh, I really like, you know, just going through scrolling through whatever's happening on any one of these social networks, they see something that that strikes their interest. Maybe they clicked hashtag NFT art on Instagram and your stuff popped up. And then that's how they decided to go buy your thing. So you're more likely to get found outside of OpenSea and brought over to mm-hmm. OpenSea than you are to be found on OpenSea itself. Okay, that makes total sense. So let's talk about marketing NFTs. Um, would you market it the same way you would market any other art that you're selling online? It, well, yes, except for, you know, like sometimes I use Facebook ads and you can't use Facebook ads to sell <laughs> NFTs. So um, not yet, at least, right? They, they have a really strict uh, uh, rules against digital, right? Yeah, yeah, digital stuff. Yeah, right? so yeah. Um, I think that, God, it's a really tough question. It really is because the way that I'm seeing it right now is it's almost like there's two main types of NFT buyers or um, collectors, or if you will. Okay. There are the ones who are chasing them for their collectability. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, they want to get in on Board Ape Yacht Club because they know that if they get in early, they can, you know, turn around and flip it, right? Right. Um, or at least hold on to it as a as a secure amount of, you know, increase in, you know, or investment or whatever. Uh, and maybe it's not Board Ape Club. Maybe it's one of these smaller projects that have just kind of coming up and they're trying to get in on their, um, early on it. Then there's the, the, the artists, like the one of one artists or the people who are creating work, you know, more, you know, one at a time or very small collections. And when those people are successful because they felt the success, uh, uh, you know, of the boom of NFTs, they'll turn around and and pay it back, right? Um, or they just, you know, mm-hmm. there's just kind of like this camaraderie amongst NFT artists, especially if you go on Twitter. I don't see this so much on Instagram, but if you go on Twitter yeah. and really kind of interact with the NFT community there, you know, and be authentic and be real with them, and and you know, don't shill and you know, it, you can really kind of establish yourself in in the community. And um, if you're, you know, you're active and prolific, you can build up a, a real good collection of, of people that are at least, if they're not buying, they're at least willing to share your stuff so that who knows what happens, who, like whoever might be looking at their tweets might turn around and buy from you. So. Okay. It's so weird. It's such a weird space to me. Oh, it is. It's so weird and it's so new and everybody's still trying to figure it out. But you seem to you seem to have gotten in 
and gotten in deep so that you know more than a lot of us. (laughs) Well, and you know, I think that's part of it is that I've sold, well, I've sold a couple on um, object and I've sold one on OpenSea. So I haven't sold a lot, but the way I look at this is that at least for me personally is like, I'm just want to get as, as much information as I possibly can, because I seem to be getting Mm -hmm. a lot of people asking me questions. And so it's like, I just want to be as educated as I possibly can. So I can give good information and good advice to people, you know, at least to the limit that I'm, I'm I'm capable, you know, the marketing one is a tough one because, you know, it's like, I, I, I can't say that I've had a successful marketing trip on them, obviously, because, um, you know, I just haven't sold that many, but there are people, there are other people out there that, that are doing basically what I've just shared and they seem to be doing all right, but it's a crapshoot sometimes. I guess it just depends on how much energy you're willing to spend on that thing. If you're willing to go all in and really kind of do your, your, you know, good solid work on, you know, being part of that community, then you have a real strong chance of, you know, doing really well. There is a, there's an artist that I follow. I think like I was could just know her as Kelly, but um, she, you know, she was an, she's an Etsy artist. She would do like this kind of almost brutalist slash folk art oriented work. And mm-hmm. she's, I mean, that's basically what she still does. And she would sell okay on Etsy, but then she goes over to OpenSea and she just blows up. Every time I go on Twitter, I oh, feel wow. like she's selling, like she's selling two or three pieces a day and her pieces are not, Wow. You know, expensive. They're not really, but she's just selling, selling, selling. And sometimes it's, wow. it's like, like reselled, right? You know, secondary market stuff. Right. So she's just selling like, like she's probably making three, four times the amount of money now than she was when she's just selling original art on Etsy. So Kelly Moore, that's her name. Kelly Moore Art. We'll have to link to her in the show notes. That's fantastic and confounding. <laughs> yes, one hundred percent confounding. It's it's lovely because it may it just gives you hope that like okay, well you know she it's not like she's some highfalutin gallery artist. You know she's you know she's just a oh you know she's just like us. She's us just doing better at this particular thing. Yeah. So it's possible. Yeah. You know? That's awesome. There, you know, success leaves clues, right? So we just look and see what those are and follow that. So what specifically are you doing, though, to try to market yours? I know you're talking, just the fact that you're talking about it so much is marketing for what you're doing, but you're sharing on Instagram, you're doing YouTube. Yeah. Oh, you've got your, um, you've got a free NFT class that, um, that I am in the middle of. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well. I mean, if if they listen to this, it basically got the whole thing, except for some visuals. But yeah, you know, I I think that's really. I mean, that's kind of my mo in general is that I'm just out here sharing content as much as I possibly can, sharing as much mm-hmm. insight as I can, sharing um, technological know how on you know from aspects of art and design, anything that I can learn and I can turn around and share to somebody else. I do that as much as I possibly can. And the hope is, is that number one, I hope that people uh, get engendered to me by that. And, you know, like they want to go buy something from me, whether it's an NFT or a piece of art or a a mug or a T-shirt, whatever, you know, but then there's, you know, like maybe they'll buy into something else that I'm doing. You know, maybe it's like they come in, they take a course, they, uh, you know, follow up with, you know, some of the other projects that I'm working on. I'm just 
trying to put out good stuff out of the world and, you know, not necessarily waiting for reciprocation. Hope some of it comes back to you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, that's the best I can, I can do at this point. Well, and that's what we're doing with the podcast too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think that that's what it really comes down to is just putting out as much good stuff out in the world for other people. At least for me, this is just how it seems to be my success lane, my, you know, my, my path or whatever. Yeah. Um, to just, you know, kind of just be as helpful as I possibly can. And people reward me by buying stuff for me. Awesome. So what would you suggest to people who are listening who, so most of our audience are just getting started. They're mostly still trying to figure out their place in the art and design world and where they want to go. Would you recommend that anybody just give it a try? Yeah, I mean, I don't see why not. I mean, if you really break it down, aside from all the technological hurdles that you have to go through to get there, if you're open-minded and willing to, you know, to put in a few hours into this just to kind of get mm-hmm. yourself educated and be be smart enough to not make financial mistakes. Um, yeah. And it's not a ton. It's not like you're investing. Don't spend your $69 million on NFTs. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's just... I think it's just you to know, do a little bit of due diligence in that respect. But other than that, it's no different than any other place that you would operate, right? Again, it's no different than right. if you wanted to go and, and sell your work through Art America, it'd be the exact same thing. Or if you wanted to sell, you know, whatever you wanted to sell on Etsy or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Amazon, you know, merch or whatever. You just do your due diligence to find out what's the best approach to that. Yeah. Now, should you... You know, like, I mean, should you do this one thing and then that thing and then this one thing and then that thing? Uh, I mean, that's me. <laughs> that's what I do, which is probably part of the reason why, you know, like, like I haven't moved as far as I can in the NFTs. But that's just because I just I love to absorb new information of all these different things so that I can turn around and share it with other people. I'm the same way, Dave. Yeah. It's just I think we're just like some of us are just bred that way. You know, we just built that way. But yeah. If you're trying to build something, like establish yourself someplace, you know, put a good foothold in, then yeah, I think you would go all in or at least 80% in to this thing and be, you know, do everything you can to be good at it and be okay with with number one, probably sucking for a very long time. And number two, um, maybe not selling much for a while. But if you stick to it and you push forward and you keep building it, then you can be like like our friend Kelly, who is now selling a piece. Every day, at least. Amazing. And she's selling them. Let's just see. Let's just do some due diligence on Kelly right now. Let's see. Kelly Moore Art, I think, is her <laughs> is who she is on Twitter. We'll confirm that and make sure that we put it in the show notes. Yeah. It's Kel- yeah. <laughs> um, she is. Let's see. What's the last sale? Let's see. And then while you're looking that up, I just wanted to also ask. Um, let's talk just for a second about copyright. If you're mm-hmm. selling this digital ownership to this digital version of some of your art, you retain the copyright, right? Yes. They can resell their NFT, which is just like an electronic version of it, but they don't have reproduction rights, correct? Correct. Well, and and you can establish that. Like if if you wanted to put in that, what do you call it? The smart contract. If you wanted to do that, you could. You would have to specifically give permission for that. The default is... That they are not buying copyright, correct? That's correct. 
That's absolutely 100% correct. Okay. All they're buying is the smart contract, really. Again, it goes back to the NFT really is just the data, right? It's, you right. Know, it's the bits, the, the ones and zeros that are behind it. That's what you're buying into. The picture just happens right. to be the widow dressing. So, yeah. But, yeah, but if you do establish something in the contract that says you can have rights to do this, you can reproduce this if you want, you know. Mm-hmm. So, Mark Mason, um, who's the author who's written a few books like um, – the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Um, sorry if I can't say that on the, you can bleep that out, but you can. <laughs> so <laughs> he was okay. having you a can. conversation. Laura with, doesn't, but I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, he was having a conversation. I think it was with Gary Vee. And he was talking about how he was thinking about taking some of the most notable quotes out of the book and putting them up for available as NFTs. And what he was going to allow is that people would buy them and then be able to use them. They have ownership over that quote. Oh, that's cool. And they still have to put his name on it, but you hmm. know, you know. Mark Manson. Right. <laughs> yeah. So mm-hmm. you put it on a shirt, you know, and you could sell it. You have, you know, the rights to do that. And you could. Um, if you want it. You know, that's just one way to do it. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So it's up to the artist. You can retain the copyright totally yourself, or you can give any kind of license you want to somebody that buys it. Yeah. It's up to you. Right. And, you know, and there's even the music artists who are giving away uh, portions of their royalties on art on particular songs. Like they're, they're NFT, their royalties for a song for however, you know, in perpetuity. And so you buy into it and you get a small portion of whatever that hmm. particular song or album or whatever they're, they're putting out there. You, you, you get a portion of that. Mm-hmm. And so they get an influx of cash to put out the music that they want. You get to have some royalties on top of that. But let's say you're like, okay, well, that was fun, but I'm going to turn around and sell it to somebody else. Well, then you get a little bit of profit for that. And then the artist, the musical artist, they're still getting a residual royalty on that. So that sale, they still get a royalty on top of that. That's some Inception stuff going on there. Seriously, right? (laughs) For sure. And by the way, Kelly just sold a piece. Well, it was probably yesterday. Uh, She may have sold some since, but the last post is 0.08 ETH, which is roughly um, $250, maybe something like that. $200. So she, and she's doing that every single day. So she's, she's doing all right. Yeah. That's not so shabby. That's not so shabby at all. Right. We hate to do this, but we're going to have to um, start wrapping up. And one of the questions we like to ask is for somebody who is just getting started in NFTs, what's one piece of advice you could give them? Do your homework. It really is that like just it's going to be technologically challenging. Right. Um, But if you just put in the energy to learn about it and not just learn about nfts but learn about the cryptocurrency that's behind that nft i know so many artists who they know everything they could know about how to put stuff and and operate on OpenSea, but they don't know a lick about how cryptocurrency works now you don't have to become a financier you know or like a you know financial expert or whatever on this you you could just learn enough to just at least get yourself secure enough to understand what's going on because it's super easy to make mistakes and because you're playing with money and not just like, Mm -hmm. you know, 
I can go and put all the listings I want on Etsy and it only costs me 20 cents each. Right. Right. But when I'm making exchanges with this, with, you know, when I buy on Coinbase and I to- put it up in a wallet and I transfer that over to OpenSea and, and do all that, there's even for me, like whenever I do this, I still get this slight bit of anxiety as I'm doing it because it's not like I get paid from somebody on something I do and that I, all I got to do is move it to my bank and I've got the money in my bank. Right. That's easy. It's so easy. It's like, right. In retrospect, if we told ourselves back when we were first getting, you know, like when I was an 18 year old and you told me, hey, this is how how you're going to be operating money in 30 years, 40 years. I'll be like, what? Are you out of your mind? Right. Two years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, yeah, just educate yourself. Just get as much information as you possibly can. And if you have questions, find good places to get those questions answered. Um. You know, there's plenty of resources. DaveConry.com. <laughs> okay. I don't want to be that responsible. I am not a financial advisor. You, like, This is not financial advice. Disclaimer. Disclaimer, disclaimer, <laughs> disclaimer. Um, right. There's plenty of people out there offer, you know, sharing up good information. One of them, especially when it comes to cryptocurrency, there's a YouTuber called Whiteboard Crypto. And it can be a little heady at first when you go in there. A little bit, a little bit deep, right? But I think that he does a really good job of explaining all of this stuff in as simple terms as he possibly can, and he does it with like illustrations and whiteboard art. And he'll relate things to, like, he'll relate things that are happening in the crypto space or the NFT space to things that you know that we understand in our real world scenarios. Oh, that's good. <laughs> you know, so so. That's just one example, you know, but it's and mm-hmm. when you first get in there, it's going to be like, I just like mind numbing, like all the different nomenclature, all the the terminology, just everything is just going to be like, oh, my God, this is so esoteric. And I just like it's going to be overwhelming at first. But if you just put some due diligence in, you'll, you'll figure it out. I'm using that phrase a lot. But okay. um, if you just. <laughs> You do it. You do it often enough. You you just kind of be okay with not understanding, but just you know making notes. I need to understand what that means more, and go back and try and find that out. It, you just it's the best thing you could possibly do. And then once you've once you've gotten past that first hurdle of getting your Ethereum, getting your initialization started on OpenSea, it, it gets easier. It gets easier really quickly. Yeah. Well, Dave, thank you so much for coming back and chatting with us all about this crazy new world of NFTs. We really appreciate it. We do. Happy to share as much as I can. So this uh, the thing is, this information could be completely uh, out of uh, touch and uh, out of date a year from now. Everything could change. Who knows? We'll see. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Note to our editor. Yeah, there Let's you go. get this up pretty quickly before yeah. it's obsolete. <laughs> and well, Nikki and I are going to create some of our own NFTs just to learn about that experience and that process. Um, So for anyone else who's interested in the same, join our Facebook group where we'll be hosting a private Facebook Live all about our own experience. To read today's show notes, go to StardustSociety.com slash NFTs. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star rating and a review. Reviews help us reach more stardusts like you and keep us inspired to create new episodes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.